links rely on partnerships and the amazing work of so many organizations and leaders to achieve our collective community goals. I hold dear the bonds of friendship. We are friends transforming communities through service. implement transformative programs that address the most critical needs of underserved communities. Welcome to LinkedIn Impact with the Arlington Links, a podcast which transforms our community by highlighting the issues, resources, and leaders that you need to know. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of LinkedIn Impact with the Arlington Links. My name is Krista Jones, and I'm excited to host this podcast produced by the Arlington, Virginia chapter of the Links Incorporated. April is Minority Health Month. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office of Minority Health observes National Minority Health Month to highlight the importance of improving the health of racial and ethnic minority and American Indian, Alaska Native communities and reducing health disparities. The theme for the National Minority Health Month 2023 is better health through better understanding, focusing on improving health outcomes for racial and minority communities by providing them with culturally and linguistically competent healthcare services, information, and resources. When patients are provided with culturally and linguistic appropriate information, they're empowered to create healthier outcomes for themselves and their communities. As we think about eliminating health disparities, a part of that is making sure we are empowered as individuals to be advocates for ourselves. While we work on changing policies, we also have to make sure we are educated about our bodies, our minds, and our daily habits. And in today's conversation, we will explore that a little more. Today, I have with me Sandra Jenkins-Clark, a certified yoga instructor, and Dr. Nicolette Martin, who is a health and wellness coach and author, to give you some tips on the benefits of yoga, some commonly asked nutrition questions, and of course, the importance of self-care. Enjoy the conversation. Well, I am so excited to have you both with us to talk about health. April is Minority Health Month, and I know both of you have distinct perspectives through the work that you do around health. So one thing I think, especially coming out of a pandemic, um, one of the things that COVID did was shine a light on our health. It encouraged some better health practices for some of us. It had a lot of us reexamining our mental health. Um, some people actually turn to alcohol and drugs to cope. But in general, with the work that you do and just kind of in your personal experiences, both Nikki and Sandra, what lasting impact do you think COVID will have on our health, both positive and negative? And Nikki, you can start. Okay. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. I appreciate it. I always like to talk about nutrition and health. So I think it has changed a lot of people's thinking about the way they take care of themselves. And for many, especially in the African-American community and the minority community, who always say, oh, I inherited my mother's high blood pressure. I inherited my mother's diabetes, things like that, even though they may not have developed them until they were adults. 
but once people realize that this is a risk factor and it it substantially increases your risk for COVID, I think people will start thinking differently about taking care of themselves and like they really are, you know, getting a little bit more serious about the things they can do to get rid of slash prevent slash control their diabetes or the same with hypertension. So yeah, I think people will change the way they think about certain things. Awesome. Sandra, what do you think? On the positive side, I will say more healthy options are available than ever before. For example, Mm -hmm. Zoom changed everything, not just our workplace, but in terms of our health also. Now we have virtual and in-person options for everything from doctor's visits to workouts. Mm -hmm. And mental health conversations are normalized now. It became okay to discuss seeking uh, mental health help. Yes. I am a government contractor by day, and I've noticed that uh, my government client now has monthly mental health emails. So Hmm. they are really discussing taking care of employees. They are our most valuable resource, and we need to take care of the mental and physical health. Absolutely. So on the negative side, though, I want to say one thing. On the negative side, more people seem to be teetering on the edge of the mental health breaking point. And we know that now. There seems to be a mass shooting every few days. And many of the people who need help are not getting it. And they have access to weapons. That's sad. You're right. That's a that's an excellent point. So Sandra, you know, yoga is rising in popularity. Can you tell us more about what exactly yoga is and its benefit? Sure. The word yoga means to yoke or union or bring together. Mm -hmm. Yoga is a blend of physical, meditative, and breathing practices plus philosophy. It is based on ancient practices from India and Africa. Many people don't know that there's an African tie-in to yoga. Mm. Contemporary yoga began in the early 20th century when some of the Indian gurus brought yoga to the Western world. It continues to evolve. There are many contemporary yoga styles and lineages Most contemporary yoga focuses on the physical yoga practices. The benefits differ with each yoga style, but include stretching, flexibility, stress relieving, strengthening, agility, and balance. If you are interested in trying yoga, I recommend starting with a yoga studio with several yoga styles. Look Mm -hmm. at the website and read the class descriptions. Try different classes and teachers until you find a style that suits you. Many yoga studios have virtual options so you can attend a class from home if that makes it easier. And, you know, so say I'm about to start on my yoga journey. Um, What do you find when you talk to people that they find most challenging about yoga? That is a good question. Believe it or not, um, 
for Black women, it is challenging to find a yoga place that's welcoming, safe, and inclusive. Oh, wow. I've heard many stories of Black women walking into yoga studios and the person at the front desk saying to them, are you here for yoga? Oh, wow. Yeah, as if <laughs> Black people cannot do yoga. <laughs> or the students not being welcoming and moving their mats away from the new Black student. Oh, wow. So to me, that's that's one of the challenging things. Also, it can be challenging to find classes that are inclusive of all sizes and ages. Mm -hmm. If the studio's website only has 20-something people, white people, and people bending like pretzels, that's a red flag. Keep looking. Mm -hmm. I've had good luck with studios that are also yoga schools, training instructors and training them to be inclusive. Interesting. And so I know you said it depends on the style of yoga in terms of the different benefits we can get, but you know, I, I guess you can do it however often you want, but is, is there is there kind of a framework where people say, I try to practice once a week in combination with other types of exercise or do you, um, and, and meditation, or do you find people that say, you know, I go every other day? Generally, how many times a week do people go? That That is a good question also. And, and really it depends. There is no right answer and it is a very individual choice. Personally, I find it hard to do a 75-minute class each day, and that's what people are doing at my studio. Uh, I attend one to two classes a week, along with other things, and I take yoga snacks each day. I think it's a misperception that you have to do a full class. Like taking short walking breaks, we're finding that that's okay now. I take yoga breaks during the day. I call them my yoga snacks. Mm. A yoga snack is integrated into my day. For example, if sitting at my desk at work and my shoulders are tense, I will start to do some chair yoga poses. In, mm. Sitting right there in my chair. I'm, I work in a cubicle environment so people can see me, but I do it anyway and take my yoga snack during the day. Or when I'm brushing my teeth, I stand on one leg, flamingo pose. So uh, I get some balance in. Uh, when I'm playing and feeding my dog, I go down in a full squat to strengthen my legs. So this makes yoga functional to me. So I think it's a misperception that you have to go to a class every day. Once you go, two classes, learn a few poses, you can start working them into your day. And what could a yoga class, you know, replace um, like cardio or I guess I know you said it can be individualized to the person, but what is an example of how someone could work yoga into their overall fitness routine? I have tried <laughs> to replace my cardio with yoga. And for me, it doesn't work. And, and the other yoga experts that I've talked to 
generally say no. You cannot replace your cardio class with yoga. You need balance in your life. So even though some vinyasa classes raise the heart rate, most yoga classes do not keep the heart rate up in the cardio zone long enough to replace your cardio. Okay. You need balance. So in your life, you need cardio, you need stretching, you need weight-bearing exercises, you need all of that. So I think it's appropriate to take a yoga class once or twice a week, and then you'll still have to blend in the other things, the cardio, the weight-bearing exercises. And the good news is that we have options now, since the pandemic, there are virtual things that you can do from home. If you choose not to join a gym, you can go outside and walk and it costs no money <laughs> to do that. <laughs> so um, there are options for the weight bearing. Uh, also, you can get a set of cheap weights and, and do a few uh, weight things at home, or you can join a gym. So you have options but look for balance in your life. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Excellent. And can yoga be done at any age? Yes, I'm excited to say yoga is good for anyone from age two to 102. Uh, the oldest person that I've seen uh, doing yoga who was an instructor was doing it at 102, around 102 before she passed away. For my 200-hour yoga certification project, I provided 10 to 15-minute yoga classes for my church's vacation Bible school. So I was teaching yoga every afternoon for a week to the various different age groups and classes there. I literally taught the entire congregation during the week, from toddlers to senior citizens. <laughs> I tailored the classes for the audience. So every day we were studying a biblical lesson in Vacation Bible School, and I tried to tie in some movements to that. I played games with the kids. For example, they were playing red light, green light, and when the light turned to red, they had to stop and do a yoga pose. <laughs> I meditated with the teens. The teens are that interesting group where uh, they didn't want anybody to see them looking silly or anything like that. So they were open to sitting and meditating. So I meditated with that group. And for the elderly um, seniors of the church, we did chair yoga. So there was a little bit of everything going on, depending upon the class. Excellent. It, Definitely for all ages. And the studio where I work right now, Sun and Moon Yoga in Arlington, they offer classes for, for all ages. They have mommy and me classes for moms with new babies. And they have gentle and chair yoga for older adults. So, and everything in the middle. Excellent, thank you so much. So Nikki, let me turn to you. I, I feel like um, nutrition is one of those things we're realizing for a while you, we heard, you know, you can out exercise a bad diet. Now people are saying you can't. Um, there's a lot of talk about sugar and carbs, you know, 
some people say you can't even eat fruit that much because of the sugar in them. Can you just kind of offer some some background in terms of when we're when we're looking to have a more nutritious diet, what should we keep in mind about sugar and carbs? So let me first say that pretty much in general, anyone over 30 cannot out-exercise a bad diet. When you're in your 20s and maybe your early 30s, and especially as a woman, now a guy is completely different because they have more muscle and so they burn fat easier. But as a woman, once you get to your early 30s, if you're still doing the burgers and fries and pizza at 10 o'clock at night, that's going to catch up. So those days do end around your 30s. Carbs are not bad for you, depending on the carbs that you're eating. Okay. Mm-hmm. I always tell my clients when I do nutritional counseling and I tell them the key is, is, is fresh and clean. I always talk about clean eating. So if you can stay away from things that are in a box or a bag or mm-hmm. on a shelf, then you're, you're a little bit safer. The cleaner you eat, meaning eating whole foods, eating fresh foods, not necessarily from whole foods market. But when I say whole foods, I mean like real fruit and, you know, real meat and real vegetables. You're usually better off. So again, carbs, there are good carbs and there are bad carbs. All vegetables have carbs in them. So salad and green beans and sweet potatoes um, and broccoli and spinach and kale, those are all great carbs. Snickers bars and M&Ms, not so much. Awesome. Thank you. And I know there are a lot of African-Americans who are lactose intolerant. Does that mean you can't have any dairy at all? Uh, what, What exactly does that mean? So lactose is a sugar uh, and it's found in dairy, uh, you know, milk, cream, butter, that type of thing. When you are lactose intolerant, you lose, there's a product called an enzyme and an enzyme is what your body uses for different things. But in this particular case, to break down the sugar so that you can digest it uh, and use it for energy. When you are lactose intolerant, you do not have the enzyme to break down the specific sugar lactose. So you can break down other sugars, but not lactose. And therefore you tend to get the bacteria in your gut, get very upset and you get very bloated. Uh, You get gassy, you can have very bad diarrhea, you can have nausea, a whole range of things. There are different degrees of lactose intolerance. Um, I am personally lactose intolerant. And up until the age of about 23, I could eat pizza and ice cream in the same setting and be perfectly fine. And then as I got older, uh, I started noticing that I couldn't do that. And in my maybe early 30s, 40s, I could eat one piece of pizza instead of, you know, two or three, or I could have some ice cream as opposed to a banana split. And then as I got older, I just couldn't eat any of it. So there's lactate pills, there's lactate milk for those people that are kind of right on the border, like I was, you know, when I was younger. But as you get, for some some people in my case, as I got older, but for other people, if you just don't make any of the enzyme at all, then yes, you really, you can't eat dairy. I mean, you can eat it, but you'll get sick. It won't kill you, but you'll just feel like you're dying. And so that's, you know, fortunately, there are a lot of other options. There's almond milk and soy milk and cashew milk and, you know, almond cheese. And uh, there's even yogurt 
that's made without dairy, um, without milk. And so you do have a lot of options. Um, and so it's not really worth getting sick over unless you just choose to. Right. And so I also hear a lot about, you know, working out and obviously we're everyone's encouraged people to get more exercise. Is there anything that you would recommend that makes sense to eat before a workout or even after a workout? So it depends on on who you are and what type of workout you plan to do. So if you are a high level athlete and you're training for a marathon or you're training for a long distance bike race, you need to eat a lot of carbs, like carbs and fat that give you good fuel and that satiate you and give you long lasting fuel. So again, not candy bars or things like that where your sugar goes up and then it crashes, but things like, you know, peanut butter and banana sandwiches or oatmeal. So things that kind of stick to your ribs, that sort of thing. And then throughout your, you know, if you're somebody who's, who's training like two, three, four hours straight, then you have snacks like protein bars and things like that. Regardless of your, your workout, you always, always, always drink a lot of water. That's very important. More water than Gatorade and, and the other drinks, Powerade, because they're they have salt, but they also have a lot of sugar. So again, if you're if you're one of those um, high level athletes, you can drink those because you're working out for for two, three, four hours straight. Um, if you're just the average athlete, like the majority of us who are going to take like a 30 minute class or an hour class, that type of thing. Uh, Sandra, I personally love, love yoga, but I like hot yoga. And so doing hot yoga or doing a one hour spin class or a one hour aerobics class or even a one hour hike outside, eat something that's going to give you some immediate energy because you're only going to be working out for 60 minutes. But again, something that your body can break down and use. So things like yogurt with uh, fruit or bananas, uh, you can eat, you know, maybe a, sa a sandwich like peanut butter sandwich or something like that. I mean, not like a ham and cheese, you know, with or not a, a deli sub, nothing like that. But something that's going to give you energy. Make sure you drink a lot of water. If you're going to sweat a lot, even in an hour, you can sweat a lot. But you don't necessarily need the Gatorade type drinks because you don't need that much salt or sugar. So I drink like coconut water before I take a hot yoga class. It's got a lot of uh, magnesium and a lot of potassium, which you lose when you sweat. Um, if you're going to be outside riding a bike for an hour or if you're going to be in a spin class where you're going to be sweating for an hour or you go on a long hike, the same sort of thing. You need to stay hydrated. But if you sweat a lot, replenish it more with electrolytes than with sugar. And then protein, what's the best way to get protein? You hear a lot about the, the need for protein if you're trying to lose weight. What's the best way to get it? So again, the best types of protein to eat are, for lack of a better word, it's, it's clean. So if you're going to eat meat, if you're going to eat beef, it needs to be grass-fed. If you're going to eat chicken, uh, it needs to be free range because it really as much as is financially possible. Fish needs to be wild caught because if you can eliminate the hormones and the antibiotics and the things that make us sick and the things that have been proven over and over to increase your risk and even you know directly cause breast cancer, prostate cancer, colon cancer. 
because of some of the things in meats, then you, if you can stay away from those, then that's important. But, you know, just lean protein again, you know, not burgers from McDonald's, you know, but a burger from home. That's a, you know, it's cooked differently. doesn't have as much salt. It doesn't, you know, usually parents will buy better food for you than McDonald's will. So I think that's a perfect segue into um, health disparities. There are a number of health disparities based on a number of factors, including race, including food deserts, lack of access to fresh foods. Can you each talk about, from your own perspectives, how we might address some of the health health disparities that exist? And Sandra, we can start with you. I think it is very important for people to tell their stories of what's happened to them. I think it's very helpful to others when you hear someone's story and that helps to fix the problem. So that's number one, tell your story. And if you're on the other end, listen to the stories that others tell. And number two, do your homework. If you need to have surgery and you have time to plan for it, do your homework on the options that are out there, the doctors available, the hospitals available, all of that can make a difference. Get a second opinion before you have anything done or a big diagnosis done. Um, Having an advocate go with you to the hospital is a wonderful thing. I just got finished uh, taking care of my elderly mother before she passed away, along with my sister and brother. And we were all advocates for her. And it made such a big difference. And finally, my last thing I'm going to say about that is support Black healers. Support Mm -hmm. Black healers and inclusive healers. And when I say healers, I'm including, of course, the, the medical staff out there, but people like Nikki, people like me. Support the Black healers that are out there that are looking out for the best interests of um, a BIPOC community. Thank you. Nikki, what do you think? No, I agree with you that the uh, the health disparities, I think they became very, they've always been known to us as a community. But I think even the white community noticed them or became aware of them, I guess we'll put it like that, especially during covid and it, at the end of the day, it really is about access. And if African-Americans don't have access to good care, they never get good care. If you have access, I completely agree with Sandra that you definitely, we all still need an advocate because especially African-American women die, you know, the number one killer is heart disease, as we know. And when you go into an ER as an African-American woman and describe your symptoms of a heart attack, you will not be taken seriously. And unless you continue to push back and push back or have someone push back with you and or for you, you'll get a slap on the wrist. Oh, you're anxious. Oh, you're overworked. Take, I guess back in the day, they used to give all these women Xanax and Valium. So they probably won't do that, but they'll, you know, they'll give you a pill and send you on your way um, without taking you seriously, without drawing blood or looking at your EKG. And so um, the disparities are real. And 
it takes being educated to the extent that you can on the medical system and knowing that you're going to have to sort of like everything else in our life, uh, you're going to have to push back. You're going to have to be a little bit more aggressive to get the care that, and you need to demand the care that you need. Excellent points. So April, like we said, is Minority Health Month. Why do you each think it's important that we have a Minority Health Month? We'll start with you, Nikki. I think for us as a community, it maybe shines a light on some things that we tend to take for granted. So again, I inherited my high blood pressure. I inherited my, everybody in my family has diabetes. So that's why I have it. And that's rarely is that true. <laughs> you know, it's because of like I tell my clients, your health destiny is determined by what you put on the end of your fork. And um, assuming you don't have a genetic disease now, we'll say that. But I think it puts a spotlight on our health and it makes us sit up and take notice as to some things that we can change, because there are a lot of things that we can change that have nothing to do with, you know, outside influences on us. And so if Minority Health Month has more webinars and more podcasts and more, you know, stories on NBC and CBS and wherever, you know, Steve Harvey talking about health and getting checked and getting prostate checked and colon cancer screening and mammograms. If it points it out and highlights it, then maybe we'll pay a little bit more attention. Excellent. Sandra? I agree wholeheartedly with Nikki there. Um, the playing field is not level. We know this. So any opportunity to get health information out there to the minority community is great. Uh, getting information out there and letting people know that they have options, that they, as Nikki said, it's, it's not just because you inherited something that you are stuck with it forever, so you thinking there is no hope. It gives people hope if we get this information out there so they know their options. Excellent. And lastly, for both of you, I feel like there is a, a much uh, larger emphasis on self-care these days for all of us. Why is self-care so important to our health? And I'll start with you, Sandra. You know, we could do almost a whole podcast on <laughs> self-care. Um, self-care is important to our health not just as an indulgence. That's what I used to think before, that it was an indulgence for self-care. It is important so we can be of service to others. And people don't realize that. If we don't take care of ourselves, we cannot be of service to ourselves or to others. And we work with an organization that's all about service there. But if we're burnt out, we're not going to be of service to others. Audre Lord said, caring for yourself is not self-indulgence. It's self-preservation. Mm. And that is an act of political warfare. So we need to think of it that way. This is political warfare. Uh, after the pandemic happened, that's when all of this, I think, came, came about, when we were stuck in our homes and mm. realized that fighting for social justice and things like that was taking a toll on us 
And so we needed to take care of ourselves. As black women, the racism that we face every day depletes us over time. Our morale, our energy, and our health are adversely affected. affected. So we need to replenish. Absolutely. Nikki, what are your thoughts on self-care? So I would agree with that. I do think that self-care really is um, self-survival. And we as Black women, as women in general, especially African-American women, uh, that's just not something that we were taught to do. Uh, Women are nurturers by nature. And so we take care of everybody else. And then what little we have left in the tank Uh, we give back to ourselves. And then when we get burnt out or we get sick or, you know, we get depressed to the point that, you know, we can't get out of bed, you know, then so many things fall apart because we really do run the world despite what others think. And, uh, and so, yes, if you don't take care of your, you know, you can have all the money in the world. If you don't have your health, then you really have nothing. And so you have to start with taking care of you and not, think of it as just being selfish because you know then that starts the anxiety and the depression and oh I shouldn't do this it's not fair to my husband it's not fair to my kids and that's sort of defeating the purpose of you trying to take care of you that's right this has been an excellent conversation I really enjoyed speaking with you both Uh, thank you for joining us today oh thank you so much for the invitation thank you so much Krista I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Nikki and Sandra and that you feel empowered to do everything you can to take care of yourself and advocate for better health care for our community. For more information on the Arlington, Virginia chapter, visit our website at arlingtonlinksinc.org and follow us on social media at Arlington Links. Mm-hmm.